Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. Planetary Radio is public radio's only weekly series about space exploration. I'm Matt Kaplan, and I hope you'll join me as we explore Mars, look for life in the universe, and fly through the rings of Saturn. We'll talk with the men and women, scientists and dreamers who are guiding us to a future beyond Earth. And don't forget to enter our weekly space trivia contest. That's Planetary Radio, Mondays at 5.30 p.m. right here on KUCI. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, this show's engineer, and your host is Mari. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant and is the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft with a CD. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in our county. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC News, The O'Reilly Factor, Geraldo Show, and uh, a lot of other shows. She even presented her own 90-minute PBS special last year, and they air it from time to time. It's called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Good evening, Mari. Hi there, Lloyd. We've got a very interesting show tonight. This is all about cyber stalking and cyber identity theft. You know, we've talked about this before. You've heard me talk about it when I've had other victims call. We've had people call us. For example, a CEO of a corporation called to tell me that someone was impersonating him online and trying to discredit him in the corporation. We've had ex-spouses finding out about uh, someone writing an email trying to discredit them to have custody taken away. Mm-hmm. We had a case recently in, in California, the first cyber-stalking case, in which a woman uh, had shunned the advances of a security computer security guy, and um, he went online, went into chat rooms, uh, put in, p- pretending to be her, basically cyber identity theft, and from that, he was talking about her uh, fantasies of getting raped. He gave out her phone number, her address, people came coming to her door, and he was actually convicted six years Good in prison. Him. Yeah. And, and then I got an email just recently from Claire Miller. Claire Miller is a very bright, educated wonderful woman that contacted me. Let me tell you a little bit about her because her story is very compelling. Claire is a successful professional with 18 years of experience in the publishing industry. She's living uh, in Manhattan and she's been doing so for about the last 11 years. Uh, Unfortunately, last year she had a very challenging year. Um, Her father had Parkinson's disease. She was dealing with that, which I think I told you my father-in-law had that very terrible disease. Her younger sister went through cancer and chemotherapy. And then on top of that, her mother got very ill and died. The only good thing that particular year was that she got a big promotion, but all that was really stressful. But nothing can compare to what happened to her in September. In September, she started to receive um, phone calls from strangers and even visits from strangers, men who claimed to have communicated with her online. You know, they said that they had been communicating with her in chat rooms and that she'd invited them over for dates. And it was, you know, pretty lusty kinds of things that they apparently said that that were in there that she had said that she never said. Um, Though some of these men that she had discovered... uh, you know, had um, 
well, some of these men, she she had no idea. Well, actually, she didn't know any of these men. So I'm I'm sorry, I got all confused here for a second. And um, but she did discover one of the men had told her um, about an email um, that that he had, and um, he t- gave her the email, and she tried to discover whose email that was. Um, the stalker has impersonated her not only in direct correspondence with men online, but also by posting uh, three different profiles and personal uh, websites. Some of these even listed her name. Her, I looked at some of these. They've even got her name, how old she is, um, her address, her phone number. So far, there's investigations going on right now, but we still don't know who this stalker is. So let's find out directly from Claire her story and see what she's learned because she has really gotten into this to to become a victor over victimhood, that's for sure. Claire, thank you for joining us all the way from New York. Thank you for having me, Mari. Well, we've become friends long distance, and I'm I'm just so inspired by all the work that you've done, and and I want you to share your story so so you we can help other people who might be going through this. So why don't you tell us from the beginning, you know, how did this all start, and how did you discover that someone was impersonating you online? Sure. Um, as you said, September of last year, a man showed up at my door claiming to have set up a date with me online um he was very he was a very nice gentleman a little shy uh when i expressed uh confusion at this he said it looks like someone's pulling a prank on you and left and was really very nice about it about a week later i had another gentleman visit again a very nice polite gentleman I was nervous and angry, upset, and confused about this, and so I asked him for the email address that the person used online, and it turns out that that email address was the email address of an old high school friend of mine. At first, I thought this high school friend, maybe she thought she was doing some kind of favor because she knows I don't get a lot of dates. I'm just so busy with my work that I don't have a lot of a uh, time to uh, socialize. Time to, well, I socialize quite a bit, just no real romantic interest yeah. at the moment. And um, so I thought, well, maybe she did this, and so I ignored it for a little while. But I did file a police report just in case. And at the time uh, you were trying to find out where she was weren't you trying to contact her too I did later try I had been trying to contact her in fact when my mother passed away um I went home for my mom's funeral and I tried to call her and contact her went past her house and just never got any answers to the telephone calls even though I let it ring off the hook and there were no cars parked in her driveway when I passed by but um, so I, I just thought it was a little odd. Maybe she was on vacation. But after six months, I knew either she's moved or something's happened to her. Uh, so I've I've also, since then, I've also tried to contact her through a letter, through email, and now I'm trying to track her down through her father's old position on city council. Uh, but so far, I haven't heard at all from her. However, since then, it really doesn't look like she's the one who's causing these visits at all. Um, some of this, the information, the website you mentioned, really talks about things like group, group sex and swingers. And right. she is just a sweet, very religious woman who would never, I don't think she even knows those things exist to be honest, and she's not technically savvy to enough to do the things like participating in chat rooms and um, 
and so on. She wouldn't know how to go about doing those kinds of things. So, Claire, do you think that someone got into her email and and was able to access information about you from her email? Is that what you think might yes, have happened? Yes, I, I truly think someone hacked into her email and got some of my personal information from that because they also are using my old work email address for posting some of these ads on personal sites. Now, would you have put your phone number and address and your pet's name into emails? Because I noticed your pet name was a was a password, right? And that's the strange thing. I cannot remember emailing that to my friend, but it's a possibility. Well, maybe, maybe maybe they got into her contact file. Maybe, you know what yeah. I mean? If they got into her computer and they saw your contact information and maybe she had in their pet's name or something. That's possible. That's, that is possible. Um, I just thought it was so strange that she also, that whoever this is also had your pet's name. Mm-hmm. That is really, really strange, and that's a very common thing that people use their pet's name right. for passwords. Right. And um, I usually don't do that for anything. Right, um, right. I, there are very good ways of making safe passwords. One of my favorites is using the first letter of lyrics in a song you really like. Right. Usually not the... Something deep in the second stanza, or something like that, <laughs> is usually the best. Not something that's uh, that's well known. And right. So if you mm-hmm. say um, "By the dawn's early light," it would be B T D E L. Right. And right. that would be you can sing the song as you keep right. type them in, and that's an easy way to remember it. Right. And then and, use a couple numbers. Throw in a then, couple numbers yeah. too. Yeah. And if you can think of a lyric that says one or two, you know, yeah. I I feel close to you or something right. like that. That's a really good way of doing it. The only problem is when they require special characters. You got to think of something. You're a star. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So you're you know you're pretty careful. Yeah. So yeah. so what else has this stalker been doing since since that time? What happened, you know, like starting in March of this year? Well, they, I got a whole bunch of phone calls. Uh, to be honest, after I went and filed a police report, the police officer I spoke with said, they're not breaking a law. So I thought, there's nothing I can do. I just got to bear with it. So unfortunately, I did not keep a record of when these things happened, when I got phone calls, when I got visitors. Um, So if I had kept a pen and paper and recorded exactly when these took place, time and date, and what was said, the where they got it, the actual URL of the uh, personal site that they got my information from, uh, whether they contacted him through through chat rooms or whatever, uh, that kind of information is really, really crucial. And I just didn't have it because I thought there was nothing that could be done. Right, and you know when this first happens to you, you're kind of kind of shaken. You don't yeah. you don't even know what's going to happen. That's why it's so important well, that you're three sharing. Three o'clock your... in the morning, not many people think to write things down. <laughs> exactly, and and plus, you know that that's one of the things that we're doing is by sharing this. You know, we can say, hey, mm-hmm. as soon as something like this happens to you, take it seriously. Get a pad and paper out. Start mm-hmm. writing this st- stuff down and asking these people who are calling you, where did you get exactly. this information? What website were you on? What was the URL, send me, you know, or send an email to, you know, make up like a Yahoo throwaway email that they can send it to you. Yahoo or or Hotmail or there are lots of free email accounts that you can get and just have them send you something. Right. Of course, it's going to be difficult if it's the same as my case because these guys, you know, they're embarrassed that they're trolling right. around on personal websites anyway. Right, and right. And there's nothing in it for them. Right, right. But truly, I think these guys are victims too. Yes. Because this guy's manipulating them as well. I say guy, but... Who perpetrator knows? could be a woman, for all I know. Exactly. But but the point is, is that some of the people were very nice, but you, I think you told me that some of them were not so nice. Yeah, one of them, to be honest, you know, they come to the door. I am angry, 
By the third or fourth time, I am really angry, and I come out, you know, (laughs) fire coming out (laughs) of my eyes uh, with my cell phone in one hand and my fist in the other. Right. (laughs) And uh, I come to the door, and I start, you know, wagging my finger in their face. Right. And, you know, half the population is going to give as good as they get. And so a couple of the guys were... Not, you know, it took them a few seconds to back off. And when I said, I'm dialing 911, you better not ever touch that buzzer again. But that's, you know, that's the way it happens. Well, obviously, you know, when I looked at some of the... um you know, the, the, the stuff that was on the email or on the uh, websites, they were a little provocative. I mean, that wasn't you writing them, but it was provocative. So they are kind of shocked to see that you're, you're an angry lady when you yeah. like you're ready to, you know, yeah. invite them into your love pad, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, well, it's... It's it, shock for them, too. It is. You know, after a couple of months, I can look back and say, this is sort of funny. It It's... I look at one of them, and the first thought in my mind was, oh, my God, he's he's portraying me as illiterate. And I was almost more upset about that <laughs> than portraying me as someone who's a swinger. <laughs> right, right, right. You're a professional but woman, exactly. Really, that was more degrading than, than anything. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, it, there was definitely a come on. And I have no idea what he was saying in emails or on in chat rooms or IMs or whatever. He I know. could have been saying, you know, all kinds of filthy stuff. And so I have no idea. Right, and, and that's one of the things you probably would have asked if you had a chance to talk to these people. Now, are you still getting contacted by people? No, because I've changed. I've disconnected the buzzer to my apartment, and I'm in the process of disconnecting my phone number, changing my phone number. Right now, I just leave it off the hook at night or disconnect it. Now, do you night. have an, an answering machine? Nope, I don't use oh. the answering machine. Because right I was going to say it would be really helpful to find out if something is... Now, you've taken down some of these websites. Let's talk about some of these websites that you were mm-hmm. on and what you've done to get your name and your information off there. When you found out from some of these people where they found your information... Mm-hmm. Um, you took some action. Can you can you tell us what that action was? Yes. Um, I did go to the sites. The strange thing is this person has been using my old work email address, and these sites have not verified that those are working email addresses because normally when you sign up for some service, they send you an email and you're supposed to hit Confirm. Confirm. Right, right. And this never happened to me. Now, I have my old email address forwarded to my current email address, so I've been getting all these things. And about a month ago, I got a phone call 3 o'clock in the morning from some guy said, oh, you're on this such and such a website. And I said, oh, my God, I just got a couple of emails, and I just thought it was spam, so I deleted it. So I went back in into work the next day, and I went to that site, and he had given me the what this website calls it a handle, but usually you call it a user ID or username. Right. And I looked it up, and it just had all this disgusting stuff on it. So I wanted to go in and get um, my my password, so all I had to do was, uh, Say for log in as, yeah. that, as that, whatchamacallit. The handle. Uh-huh. And, and say I forgot my password. Right. And it shot me an email within seconds, and I got my password, which was my dog's name. Right. And so I really quick changed the password and made that profile not visible. The reason why I didn't cancel the account was any associated IP addresses, any kinds of records of of actions on that website, I wanted to keep them in place. And I was afraid 
that by deleting the account, I would delete all history of that account. Right. You wanted the evidence for the police. Absolutely. Sure. So just making it not visible was really the way I wanted to go with that. Right. So when you made it not visible, um, then you, what, what website was that? Um, I, I'd rather not. Okay. <laughs> so you contacted that website, though, didn't yes. you, the webmaster? And Yes, I did. And and what happened with that contact? Um, we corresponded both on the phone and through email, and the end result was they c- said they could not provide me with the IP address of the person who created the account. Um, there are some privacy issues. There are some things if there was, there was no way for me to prove through email that I was who I said I was, other than having hacked into my old email address. <laughs> and um, so they weren't willing to give it out to me. However, since the police department has gotten in contact with them, they are being a lot more receptive. Right. They that. want they want a subpoena. And, and I want to mm-hmm. say right here that that's one way to get it is if you can get law enforcement to help you, and we'll talk about how you did that in a few minutes, but mm-hmm. if you can get law enforcement to help you, you can have them subpoena. The problem is a subpoena across country is very expensive, and a lot of the times there's, they just don't have the resources or energy to do it. So I just want to say right here that we have talked on this show about the Fair and Accurate Credit Trans Transactions Act, and even though it only applies, or it sounds like it only applies to finances, it really doesn't. It goes beyond that to identity theft. And if you're an identity theft victim and you send a letter to uh, some uh, company that has opened up an account in your name and it's fraudulent, if you send them all of your documentation, with which includes your, um, you know, your address, your phone number, your uh, you know, your identity theft report for the police, and it also sends you like a copy of your driver's license and a utility bill, and you say, under federal law, I'm entitled to this, then you are entitled to all the documentation of the fraud account. And so just remember that if you can't get the police, you can do that in, in writing and demand that they send that to you. But hopefully we're going to have um, Claire be luckier because the law enforcement is taking over. Now, let's kind of step back on this, Claire, because I remember when you contacted me, you told me that the police won't do anything. And, you know, when they first told you this isn't a crime, there's nothing they can do, they pretty much told you, here's your police report, we can't do anything, right? Yes, they did. And I think the problem was that the word doesn't trickle down to the people who actually interview victims. And it's really, it's hard because this is a whole new area of crime that you just can't, by osmosis, transmit all knowledge to every single officer out there. It's impossible. Right. And, and, and this so is... they categorized it as harassment. Right. It never went through the right channels. It was dropped before it even started. So let's talk about what we did to make sure that they would do something. Yes. <laughs> uh, what I did was I had discussed this with a number of friends, and one of them said, you know, I had a case very similar to this. I had a wonderful person in the computer crimes investigation unit. She gave me the name and phone number of this guy. I called up. He wasn't there, but someone else picked up, and he took off. He really took my case to heart and has been working diligently on it since then. Well, I think one of the things that also helped before you got any help was Tom Zeller from the New York Times was kind enough to interview you. Oh, yes. And I think that makes a huge difference as well because what I've seen from victims when everybody just doesn't have the time or energy energy for them, suddenly when we get it into the media, then all of a sudden they say, oh, well, you got lost in the shuffle. And and now suddenly we found you, you know, Mm -hmm. and we're going to help you. So Tom wrote an excellent article, by the way, that uh, that you know about, that was in the April 17th, 2006 New York Times, if anybody wants to look it up and see. It's called A Sinister Web and Traps Victims of Cyberstalkers. He did a great job, and he he ended up on the front page, too. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't see it on the front page. I only saw it when you sent it to me by email, but Tom mm-hmm. has has covered a lot of my my victims and um, a lot of the people 
that have contacted me, and I was so glad that he was able to help you because he really yeah. got into it and talked about some important things. Yeah. So right now, in terms of law enforcement, this this computer crimes, let's get back to this for a second, because if you, for example, in Orange County, if you were to call the, crimin- the uh, computer crimes division of the Orange County Sheriff, they wouldn't be able to help you because no. they only deal with the actual computer itself. Like, for example, if there was something on the computer like, uh, you know, child pornography, they could recapture it. So then mm-hmm. they told me that you would have to go to the stalking department, <laughs> you know, in stalking mm-hmm. investigations. And so it's very important whether, you know, for, for Claire in New York, it worked great because she had somebody who understood that crime. So mm-hmm. when, don't. I think the answer for both of us telling you guys out there is that don't take no for an answer. If yes. if one department doesn't help you, go to the fraud department. If if they don't help you, go to the stalking department. If they don't help you, call computers and just don't give up until they give you someone. Because, for example, in California, we do have a cyber stalking law that um, has been in effect for several years, and federal law was just passed. Mm-hmm. I think the president signed the cyber stalking bill as part of the women's domestic vi- women's uh, domestic violence bill um, back in February. So that also says that cyber stalk- stalking is a crime, and so you do have a right. But like you said, Claire, it's really important. A lot of the officers can't keep up with all the new laws. Oh yeah, it's it's really impossible. And if even people within the agency don't know where to send it or don't understand. Are, are computer illiterate themselves, and they don't understand what you're talking about when you're talking about IMing or chat rooms or right. bulletin boards or anything like that. If they have no clue what you're talking about, of course they're not going to know to put computer crime. Exactly, or cyber stalking or, what, or cyber mm-hmm. identity theft. I just want to introduce you again. We are speaking with Claire Miller. Claire is, I won't tell what company, and uh, but she's in publishing for many years, and uh, she is a professional, and she has been the victim of cyber identity theft and cyber stalking. And the neat thing about Claire, and uh, she's in New York City, is that she has uh, taken this issue, and she's doing a lot of her own investigation, and she's becoming empowered to, to not only help herself, but to help others by sharing her story. Not only has she been in the New York Times, but she was recently on CNN as well, telling her story. So let's get back to um, what else is happening. What are some of the resources that you found that were helpful to you, Claire? Um, there are lots of resources on the Internet. Um, the one that I found most helpful was women, uh, I'm sorry, Women Halting Online Abuse. And that you can get to at www.haltabuse.com. And this website has a lot of really good information on it. But in addition to that, if you fill out their little questionnaire, you can get individual volunteers to look at your case and track down, do as much work as you possibly can uh, before going to the police. Sometimes they can track down so much, even if you just have emails. If you shoot them one email, they can open up full headers and figure out who who the originator were, was, even if they use these redirectors or remailers. Um, it's really technical stuff, but these guys really know what they're doing. Now, what have they been able to do for you so far? Have have they gotten anything for you? They have discovered some things about, um, they found a photo that was of me online with a group, an organization I went to uh, meeting back in 2004. Now, where and was this? And they still had this? a photo up there, and so I asked them to take it down just so that this guy couldn't use that photo on any of these profiles. Now, was that on on one that the, the fraudster put up, or was that something no, that was? No, no, it was actually a legitimate site. It was with this um, professional organization. I went to one of their events 
And they had a picture of me with my full name on it and my position. Oh, okay. So. And, and a lot of us do that. I mean, when you think about all the people who have websites, I mean, you know my website. You've seen mm-hmm. me. You've yeah. seen our radio show website. You know, we put up our picture. Yeah, um, and even family photos. You have all kinds of wedding photos. Uh, right. your family is going to be the only one to look at it. Well, you put your full name in there, and it shows up on Google or Yahoo. Anytime someone does a search of your name. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, on one hand, it's a great marketing tool. If you have your name out there, people can find you and they can find Mm -hmm. your business. You know, it's another thing if they can find your home. I know um, Zabasearch for a while had my home address up there and I wrote to them and said, take me off of there. But, But on the other hand, I have my business address up there because that is something that we do. We share that business picture. We share that. And we don't expect that we're going to be Cyberstock because of it, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this this website is www.haltabuse.org, and I I actually printed off some it's things from part. there. It's it's got a lot of terrific information of, you know, how to help yourself, and it gives you uh, cyberstalking statistics. They've done. Uh, they have lawyers. They have private investigators to help you. Forensic mm-hmm. resources. So, if you're listening to this and you've had any problem like this, you definitely want to take advantage of this website that can give you a lot of insight into, you know, what to do and how to protect yourself. Um, I, I wanted to tell you about a recent case that's that's actually being uh, prosecuted against a, a company, and, and that is a woman who, very similar to you, Claire, um, a woman found out that not only was someone going into chat rooms and saying similar things to like you, you know, I want to go out with you and I don't care what your race is. I don't care if you smoke. I don't care. You know, I just want you come, you know, Mm -hmm. come, come to my love den. But they also put pictures up of her where they would put pictures up of her clothed. And then they would put pictures up her where they would use Adobe Photoshop and put her head on nude bodies. Mm -hmm. And so um, there is an attorney who is actually suing this website for allowing this to be put online, for not verifying. So we will see how this happens. I think this whole area of cyberstalking and what is the um, the accountability of these websites for you know allowing this. I think one of the things that's most disturbing for me hearing this from you is that when the um, when the fraudster put up an email. And the email didn't come to verify to you, mm-hmm. you know, to say, did you really come on this site? That that in itself seems to oh, me yeah. that that's not the standard that should be. Because every time I sign up for an email or something, they always say, we're going to send you a confirmation. If this isn't you, tell us and we'll delete it. Mm-hmm. And that should have been done, right? Well, on top of that, I mean, it's so simple to do a search of all profiles that have three numbers in a row. How hard is that? Three numbers in a row. That could be a phone number or an address. And not, it would I, take, I don't know what you mean. I'm, I'm kind of... Con- what I'm saying is when you have profiles that go up, there's an easy way to verify that they don't have personal information in that profile. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. And they should, even if the person is legit and that is the person and they're putting their own phone number in that, they should, this prof, uh, personal site should email them and say, this is not a safe practice, therefore right. we are taking your profile down. Right, right. And that should just be a standard across the board. But what if, if, they don't but if, do what the, if the person it, wants to do that? So let's say it even was... Even if they want to do that, they should not be allowed because it's not a safe practice. If they want to go and do their own website, that's uh-huh. fine, but not in personals. Right, because in personals they're subjecting themselves to so much vulnerability. Is exactly. what you're saying, yeah. So, so they should write down. We have a a. Uh, you're you're suggesting that there be a privacy policy that says we don't allow phone numbers to be put up there, right? Exactly. That should be something that's standard for any website that has offices within the U.S. 
And how about how about addresses? Do you think that they should be allowed I to put? I don't think a, they should be allowed to put addresses either. Right, because when you do an and address, it's a simple search. right, it's a simple. It doesn't take much to to create a program that will search every single profile that goes up there, and one person could make sure if something gets through. Right, um, and right. it's just just a simple thing. You your profile had content that is not allowed in the U.S. Uh, or on this website or something like that. Right. Now, I noticed that you had uh, contacted AOL, and mm-hmm. and they, how did, what was the correspondence back and forth between you and AOL? Because I had read that. Essentially, what I, the problem I had was I was not a member of AOL. I did not subscribe to their services. Therefore, I was a non-entity. And it was very difficult to get information from them because they said, well, since you're a member, and I'm not a member. Right. I could not get information from them because everything was on their members-only site. So did one of the, did the fraudster develop a um, an AOL uh Email? Is that what they did? Did an AOL, did they make up an AOL email in your name? Not that I know of. No, no. I think all they did was they would use that my high school friend's email to contact people, and I have no idea. I believe it was through chat rooms, but it could have been just through direct emails or IMing. So you're saying that a- AOL wouldn't, par- you know, wouldn't help you unless you were a member of AOL? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I couldn't access the information they directed me to because I wasn't a member. You see what I'm saying? They uh, said, we're happy to help you. Just go to such and such a site. Well, I wasn't a member, oh. so I couldn't access the information they were directing me to. Did they give you a phone number to call to talk to them about it, or no? The phone number, I, I called twice. Uh, the first time, I waited for 42 minutes with no answer. Oh. The second time, I waited for over an hour with no answer. Now, so is is law enforcement doing anything to get that? And what what exactly is law enforcement doing right now? Um, they're investigating three different sites, um, but it, some of them are more helpful than others. Some require um, only a letter faxed to them on police letterhead. Oh, that's good. So I think that one's really moving quickly, and of course, that only happened in. April, so I'm really expecting that to be more fruitful than the other ones because these IP addresses expire uh, rather quickly, and it depends on the whoever the service, the ISP, the Internet Service Provider of the stalker, how long they keep their records. So it's. But I would wonder now with, you know, with the Patriot Act mm-hmm. that I I have a feeling and from some of the people that I've talked to about the Patriot Act that these um, these ISPs, these Internet service providers are really going to have to keep these IP addresses much longer than they maybe mm-hmm. want to because, you know, because that's how you look for, for terrorists as well. Yeah. Yeah, and so I just think now you the other two that he's working on he, has he subpoenaed those at all? I yes, I believe he's working on a subpoena on those ones as well. Um, if he hasn't gotten them already, um, so yes, the other two, however, they are dated. It's been six months since there was activity on them, and so I don't have real hope that there would be records or traceable records for that. So when's the last time you received any any uh, correspondence from your fraudster's friends? <laughs> so <to speak>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the insidious thing ab- about this whole thing is that this stalker has never contacted me. Right. That I know of. He has never emailed me. He's never called me. He's never shown up at my doorstep or anything. He just manipulates these other poor souls to show up. Right. And, but, um, yeah, it's it's really hard because I can't, I have no, if I had the email in my hot little hands, I would know how to show full headers. Right, right. So. And, and that's why I was thinking if anybody came to you, you'd want to ask them, well, you know, 
send mm-hmm. me that email or get me that email or fax yeah. it to me or something just so you can and, get uh, it. They don't do that. It's, I mean, it, nothing's in it for them. They just sort of chalk it up to, okay, bad experience. Have you asked any of them for, for copies? Oh, yeah. of, and oh, yeah. And they say no? Uh, they say, yeah, and I never get anything. Hmm. Mm. That's interesting. And, and it's understandable. Yeah, I would think that when uh, when the subpoenas come in, I mean, he he obviously, or I would hope that your detective would have asked for the correspondence back and forth on these uh, from this IP address. You know, I mean, oh. what what he's not just going to get the address of the IP address. I would hope that he also asked for all the correspondence back and forth. So that he would see. Oh, you mean, well, the IP address is going to give an account, an actual account, so that they would know. Now, if he's emailing from outside the U.S., there's nothing we can do. Yeah. If he's emailing from an Internet cafe that doesn't require, doesn't keep huge records, which very few of them do, there's nothing we can do. Right. Now, I don't think that this person would be out of the country. Do you? I mean, well, it's possible. I mean, I grew up a uh, mile from the border, so. Oh, okay, yeah. So, do you sometimes? I remember when I was first a victim of identity theft way back in 1996. Before I found out who this person was, I would lay there at night and think, "Who could be doing this to me?" I mean, it would be going <laughs> through my brain, you know, yeah. and and start to be, you know logically considering who could this be you know why would they do this have you have has that happened to you that you're just racking your brain trying to figure out but you know for my own sanity and this is what i would suggest to any of you victims it doesn't matter right just pretend it's a complete stranger that way you can't take it personally you can't start saying what did i do wrong you did nothing wrong oh absolutely there is if you have fallen into this where some sick person has done this to you you are not at fault and it's in their brain so don't even go there so i just pretend this is a complete stranger it more more than likely is so that i don't start eating myself up about oh i shouldn't have talked to that person or i shouldn't have trusted that person or i shouldn't have done this you have to live your life as you do and so I can't go wondering if it's this person or that person anymore. I did for a while, sure. Yeah. But I just found it not productive. Well, also, sometimes the stalker wants to scare you, you know? They want mm-hmm. to do something like oh, that. Yeah, they want, they want you to be spending sleepless nights worrying, oh, who's going to show up next? Right, right. Don't give him that satisfaction. Right. I think when I was reading from some of these websites and I was looking at some of the statistics, um, they do talk about that 25% of these stalkers do actually come physically. I mean, the stalker himself will come physically and mm-hmm. stalk the person. So it's probably a good idea to look at, you know, some of these stalking websites just to be cautious. I know you have already oh, yeah. done some things. I mean, mm-hmm. even though you don't want to walk in, around in fear, you have taken some protective no. measures. Why don't you share um, with our audience what some of the protective measures you've taken, Claire, because we don't want to be cavalier about it. On one hand, we don't want to live in fear, but on the other hand, we also want to be, you know, bright. Yeah. Exactly. You have to protect protect yourself. And the very first thing is file a police report. Have this in writing somewhere so that it, just in case something does happen, you can say, look, this is something that's going on. If I'm attacked, here's your record and right. here's the source. This is as much information as I have while I'm capable of giving it to you. Right. So the police report is crucial. The second thing I did was uh, disconnect my buzzer. I'm sure a lot of you guys are, you people out there are living in your own home or something like that where it's not going to be possible to do something like that. Uh, Moving for me was not an option. If anyone knows real estate in Manhattan, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and right. I have a, I have my own backyard too, <laughs> which Not is many unheard people of. Do it right in Manhattan, <laughs> that's for sure. No, 
So that just was not an option. And I'm very safe here. live right across the street from a fire station that's open 24 hours a day. So there, you can't get much safer than that. But if it is an option for you, you might consider moving. And you changed your phone number. I changed my phone number. Um, I... I try and be diligent. Uh, I do regular searches of my own name on both Yahoo and Google and any other search engines that come along to make sure that there's nothing. Of course, I have a very common name. There's a hundred Claire Millers just right. in Manhattan. Wow. So it's not like uh, <laughs> right. something with this kind of stuff is going to come up first thing. Right, right. Um, Make sure that your phone number is unlisted, of course. If you do find your name coming up, through name and address or whatever coming up, try and get it taken off. Right. Um, just, just to make sure, even though I do not believe this person has my date of birth or social security number, I did get a credit report from all three agencies uh, TransUnion, uh, Equifax, and now I can't Experian. think of Experian. Experian. Yeah. And, um, Not a bad idea to put a fraud alert because, you know... I did a fraud alert, yeah. Yes. Exactly. And and even to do one for a seven-year because um, once someone has your information, including just your name and your address and your birth date, which... I know that your birth date is available because I did see it on the Internet when I was looking. Uh, uh-huh. So I think it's really important that you um, still put the fraud alert on because you never yeah. know what they might decide to do later, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And um, so, so what else have you done? Um, I'm, I am actively per, uh, helping the police and the assistant district attorney on my case. Now, it seems like it shouldn't be that the victim works really hard, but since this is a new crime, you're going to work that much harder on your case. You have to put the effort in there if you want to see any effort from anyone else because you have to appear dedicated to this. Now, even for regular crime, the victims have to do a lot of work. Exactly. But this is even more so. You really have to be diligent and keep on people and and keep in in contact with them. Right. Now, if you really, as Mari explained, um, if you really see no action, you can always go to the press and have them get take action. I mean, within 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, I really saw a lot of improvement in my um, investigation from both the right. ADA's office and the police as soon as um, Tom Zeller's article right. appeared. And that's really an important thing because, unfortunately, sometimes, like when she was saying ADA, she meant the district attorney's office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we start using these it's initials. law and order. <laughs> yeah, right. They start using these initials and, and people Someone don't know said, oh, is that the American Dental Association? Yeah. <laughs> Right. She didn't need to, he wasn't uh, her dentist. But no, no, it's very true that, and sometimes the, the, the sad thing is they may not want to listen to you in the media, but if you do have a case like this and you're not getting help, you can always contact us at identitytheft.org. I mean, that's that's basically what Claire did, and, and then she was willing and brave enough to say, yes, Mari, I will talk to the New York Times. And that's yeah. when, you know, I hooked her up with Tom, and Tom has, has covered many of the uh, clients and victims that I've had. So he, he knew that this was not, uh, you know, somebody just trying to get some publicity. It, it's a true case. Obviously, she's out here to try and help herself and other people as well. Let's and by the way, that's not a choice that everyone should make. Uh, some people, some cases, if you really feel in danger and you're just not in the emotional place to go and have this all aired in public, you know, it's really you have to figure out what mentally you're able to do. Right. I mean, you know, this is a very good point that that we want to make as well. A lot of people who go through this situation or any kind of victimhood, so to speak, whether it's financial identity theft, criminal identity theft, any kind of victim of crime, cyber crime, uh, 
you could definitely experience what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. People talk about sleepless nights, not being able to eat, having all sorts of, uh, you know, paranoid or not necessarily paranoid, but high stress levels and a feeling of just being totally out of control because you don't know who's doing this to you. And I remember that feeling. I remember those nightmares. So that you need to know that that is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. So get some help, you know, make sure that you not only get the police help that Clara was talking about, but get the support like this halt abuse, I think is very good because you're going to get that kind of support when you're starting to think you're in the fifth dimension. Uh But I think it's also important for people to remember that this stuff can also be very serious and dangerous. I don't know if you remember, Claire, the Uh Amy Boyer case. That was the case out of New Hampshire where this... um, Woman, yeah, this woman had uh, no idea that this young man in high school had a crush on her. And so she seemed to, you know, shun his advances. And he was able to go online, um, get information from DocuSearch about her, get her social security number. Then he went to where she worked and waited for her to come out, and then he killed her. So, you know, I'm not trying to frighten people, but I want people to take this seriously enough that they know to put up some barriers, make sure that, you know, you go to as many of these information brokers, take your information off offline as much as you can, and to be protective, you know, to be, a, um, not live in terror, but also to be a conscious person about your your protection. Let's talk about some of the other websites. I know there was, um, you went to, besides going to um, the haltabuse.org, you also went to Cyber Angels, right? Yeah, Cyber Angels is another resource that's great. There's also a bunch of... Um, uh, bulletin boards and um, other sorts of organizations online where you can correspond with people and find out. There's a lot of publications, and of course, Mari has some great books about the subject. Um, and there are, you also might want to get some help, some support in terms of a counseling or something like that. Right, Because this is a very emotional, hard thing to go through. Um, I think the part that's so hard is it's so insidious. It's this this invisible person that's doing this. And, and of course, we don't know how many people he's doing it to. Well, and and you feel that loss of control. I mean, I'm a person who feels very much in control of my life, and then this happens, and I have no control over it. I have no control over these people coming to my door, and I have no way of finding out what other uh, personal sites he's put ads up on. Right, And... So that's very scary. Um, it might not be scary for um, for Paris Hilton, but it's scary for me. <laughs> I think Paris Hilton even would be frightened if she started getting stalking. Look at Jodie Foster, what she yeah. went through for years. So I, yeah. I think, you know, one thing when you put yourself out there as a professional, okay, mm-hmm. when you put your picture out there on a website and you're advertising your real estate business or whatever it is, that mm-hmm. isn't that does not say that everyone has the right to stalk you. Do you no, know what I mean? It's like putting all. your your face in a, you know a, a you know the yellow pages. That doesn't yeah. mean that someone should stalk you. So yeah. I think it it's truly an invasion, and mm-hmm. it is truly something that you should not have to live with, and it should be prosecuted. Let me give mm-hmm. a couple of these websites just so people can hear. And we've got sure. this. Um, these were helpful to to Claire Miller. That's haltabuse.org. and then another one is cyberangels.org. And then another one I found is safetyed.org. That's S-A-F-E-T-Y-E-D.org. And, of course, you've heard me interview the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse. They have very good stuff at privacyrights.org. Our website also can help you at identitytheft.org. And then if you go to privacyalliance.com, that's a coalition also of companies to help you with your privacy. This is really a privacy issue, isn't it? It's uh-huh. about the right to control information about you and who has it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, here's some, some things that I found for recommendations for victims of online stalkers. It says, um, if you're under 18, tell your parents or an adult you trust that you're being threatened. You know, and a lot of kids just don't want to tell. Mm-hmm. Like, if they go on these websites, oh, what's that website, Lloyd? That Oh, yeah, MySpace. That scares us to death. You know, I mean, our grandchild oh, yeah. is on Our grandchildren are on it. My kids are on it. It just, it... It terrifies me, to be honest with you, because those kids put on something like a phone number, and then they you do a reverse directory, and you find their address, and then they get stalked just like what you're talking about. Well, even worse is uh, these special uh, club rooms, like for girls only. Right. So you've got a bunch of teenage girls. Who knows how many adult males are in there? Exactly. Trying to troll, saying, oh... I'm a teenage boy or something like that. Yes. I mean, it's ripe, ripe for the picking. It absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And so parents, really yeah, parents have to take a more active role when these kids are online. Definitely. Definitely. You, know, you know, what's really sad, and I, I actually, um, when we had the, the uh, executive director and president of, of trustee.org on our show, and her son actually had been kind of bullied online mm-hmm. through one of these, you know, teenage sites. So that's a form of cyber stalking as well. We hear a lot of this from teenagers who, you know, instead of having bully, you know, kids can be mean in high school, and then instead of doing it like on the bathroom wall, they're doing it in chat rooms. And they're mm-hmm. doing it online. So oh, yeah. that's what, you, you know, I think that was what Tom made an analogy to your story, saying it's like, you know, somebody said, if you want a good time, how they used to do it in bathrooms, if you want a good time, call yeah. this number, and it's clear. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> this person is saying that I'm the one saying, if you want a good time, right. see me. Right, And right. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're well, not. Well, I mean, <laughs> I just don't want... I have nothing against people who want to be swingers. Go ahead and do it. Just don't opt me into their lifestyle without my permission. No, I absolutely not. So then let's see. Here's a couple more things. It says um, if you're getting harassed in email, get a new account. If they're doing it to your own email, for example, that, Mm -hmm. you know, immediately close that account and get a new one. And then like you were talking about before, Claire, it says save every piece of communication you get from anyone through the cyber stalker and save all the information you have because you want to take this to the police. Yep. We've only got about three more minutes here. Mm-hmm. Time has flown. Yes, and I just has. I just want to know, could you tell us in the last couple minutes, you know, what have you learned about yourself from all this? You know, I, it's really surprised me that, you know, I'm a pretty happy person. And I'm surprised that... Uh, this really hasn't ground me down. The world hasn't been shattered by this. Um, I also feel very fortunate to live where I do, that it's a very safe neighborhood. I have a lot of wonderful neighbors. And um, and that's good support. And it's just, um, it's also made me realize that I, I don't scare easily. I don't get scared, I get angry, and that's a much more productive place to go because then I can take action. If I were scared and trembling in my shoes, I wouldn't be able to leave my apartment. Right, right. But if I'm angry, I can take action and do take the steps that I need to to protect myself. Right. It's like get mad as hell, right? Yep. And you're not going to take it anymore. Exactly. No, and that's true. And that's what we see about victims. Uh, victims, it, it can go one of two paths. Either they totally fall apart and and get demotivated and are paralyzed, or they say, "Wait a minute, this happened for a reason." Mm-hmm. Whatever the reason is, I'm going to take care of it, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to become empowered, and I'm going to not let anybody take advantage of me or anybody else. And that's and what they're both perfectly valid reactions. Right. It's just if there's any chance at all, try and channel that fear into anger. Right. And then channel that anger into action. Into motivation, exactly. And just remember that 
since this is in the early days, the Wild West days of the Internet, that every time you take an action, it's like moving for 10 or 100 other people. The more people we have responding and saying no to this kind of thing, the more people will will notice that this is a real problem and these people are going to be prosecuted and there will be some kind of a reaction from law enforcement, from um, Congress, from anyone who needs to know about this situation. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for sharing your story and all that you've gone through and and what you've learned and helping other people. And we will have to find out soon what uh, we'll keep in touch and then maybe we'll have you on again to tell all the good news about when you got this guy. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. To find out more about our show and our wonderful guests and hear their interviews and even download our podcasts, go to KUCI.org forward slash privacy piracy. Thank you, Lloyd. And we'll see you next Wednesday at 5. We'll hear you next Wednesday and you'll hear us at 5 p.m. at 88.9 FM in Irvine. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.